Welcome to the Barefoot Lunch Podcast, dedicated to helping CEOs hire exceptional people and individuals realizing their ambitions, potential, and land sweet jobs. I'm your host, David Sweet. Good morning, Naomi. This is uh, welcome to the Barefoot Lunch podcast. It's a delight to have you. We've known each other for ages, almost uh, two decades. Too long. Too long. <laughs> and uh, you are a force to be reckoned with in the recruitment industry. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your history, coming from uh, Auckland in New Zealand, and and how you got to where you're at at LVMH. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, David. Um, this is very, it's, it's nice to be able to be here talking to you about this sort of, I don't know how long, 15, 20 years later <laughs> since meeting. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, um, I, was, I, I was born and brought up in New Zealand and I've been in Japan now for 17 years. Um, and the main reason why I was able to come to Japan in the first place was because David Sweet gave me a call when I was living in Auckland and asked me to come up to Japan for an interview. So that was my, my first introduction to Japan. <laughs> um, and, you know, I joined Wall Street Associates and I worked in Wall Street Associates, which became InWorld for 12 years before moving into the luxury industry. So I'm the Talent Acquisition Director at LVMH Japan. LVMH is a luxury group company. It's actually what is the biggest luxury group um, in the world. And talent acquisition is a new position within the group. We've had this position since I joined, which was about nearly three years ago. And they, um, they decided that they wanted to put a talent acquisition specialist into each region. Um, it was quite new for the group because until now, the recruiting has been based or held within each maison. So um, just to give you a little bit of background maybe about LVMH, LVMH has 75 brands and um, each brand is kind of like a standalone company. So we call it a decentralized model. So each company has their own HR function. And each HR function looks after their own recruiting. So as a group, it's a new function to be able to have a talent acquisition role, um, just maybe giving advice or being a centre of expertise for recruiting um, topics. Wow. So it's a, a mammoth responsibility having 75 brands then coming to report to you to ask for help or guidance? <laughs> well, um, in Japan, actually, we only have about, you know, maybe about 30 of them. Um, but we have 17 KKs, so 17 um, corporate entities, and they have their own HR departments. Yeah. Wow. But they look after their own recruitment. So it's not as though I'm looking after all their hiring. I look after, um, for example, a lot of my job is um, related to corporate, um, maybe like employer branding or employer reputation project yeah. to help attract talent or um, also I look after pipelining for more of the senior to executive level um, candidates for sort of future succession plans. 
Nice. So with, let's, let's stay on that for a minute. So when you're doing um, advice for managers to attract talent, mm-hmm. tell us more about that. Hmm. So for example, um, within an HR role, recruitment is um, often sort of just one part of their job. HR generalists, they've got so many important responsibilities to look after. And, of course, recruitment is very important, but it's one of the important tasks within that role. So for the the way I I can help is I can help give them advice about the market or I can give them um, sort of new trends or tools um, or I can simply tell them that, you know, I've noticed something that's online or, competitor is doing that maybe they could look into or maybe they could you know improve in their own in their own maison to try to attract more candidates with the branding what do you do what do you suggest for companies to help branding their recruitment Mm. that's so important right it's an easy one to miss yeah well so employer branding and employer reputation has been it's a new it's new for me so I've only started this type of recruitment activity in the last, well, since I joined LBMH. And what I've found is that the more you spend on helping to promote what you do internally to the external market, the more it helps attract candidates, which means that the better you make your internal culture or your, in, you know, the, the more time you spend with your internal employees, better the employer branding becomes. Mm. Mm. It's kind of a chicken and egg situation because I can't just go out and say, oh, you know, our company's wonderful because we do this, 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 without having the actual context or the, you know, examples of what we have done inside. Can you share an example of what you've done? Yeah. For example, um, so... Our company has 75, 75 of, 75% of our employees are women. And we would like to think that we are a great company for women empowerment and um, leadership training and things like this for, you know, for supporting the women um, employees. And we have amazing things that we do inside. For example, we have um, International Women's Day or we have employer benefits that support childcare and elderly care and, um, you know, great internship and mental programs and just amazing things. But we've never discussed them externally. We've never shared the fact that we've done these things with the external market. So we've been doing them just for the purpose of, um, you know, growing our business and growing our talent. And now with this employer branding position, I'm able to share the fact that we have these benefits or that we have um, been doing these events. And um, by doing that, I think the external market are starting to become aware that LVMH in Japan spends a lot of time in developing their women talent. Do an excellent job on that. I see you guys on social media a lot. Mm. What um, If you were an SME starting up and you have some recruitment, but you're not sure how to do branding and limited resources. You kind of have your manager and you have, you know, two people in HR. What what would you suggest for them to do? Um, I think even with limited resources, it's very, I mean, if you have a LinkedIn account, 
you're able to post a LinkedIn post. <laughs> so you don't have to spend that much money on that. And then um, there are other ways that you can do it. For example, for LVMH, we're pretty strict about um, how, how and when and what tools we use to post <laughs> yeah. social media. So a lot of the information has to go through Paris. So for me, I would have to create the content in Japan and then um, get it validated by Paris to be posted mm. to the LVMH brand. So there are a, th- a few things that um, the companies may have to get their headquarters to approve. Mm. But there's definitely things that you can do at a local level without spending too much money. Um, but not just LinkedIn, but for example, um, you can definitely get your own employees to be brand ambassadors and help. Um, you know, post things on their social media about yeah. the events that they've done. Yeah, that's uh, one of my my big things for uh, SMEs I work with. I just think it's so easy uh, to do some employee branding. Whether if you have a job, just post it on LinkedIn. Uh, you don't even have to buy a, a LinkedIn uh, spot. You can just you know, say, "Hey, we're we're recruiting." Uh, so it's just those little things I try to coach our, our clients on. What um, tell us about your about interview processes that you you work with or that you said think are are killer interview processes. Um, so my interview processes are maybe a little bit different to what the other HR managers do, but um, my personal interview process is that I I don't like to take a resume into an interview. So I like to be paperless. I like to have looked at the resume before meeting the person and then enabling the candidate to just tell me about themselves and, and you know, um, tell me what they'd like to do in, in the future rather than just go through all the reasons for leaving. <laughs> so that's my style. Um, for Alvin Mitchell's group, I would assume that the actual interview process is um, pretty common to most companies. Maybe we would have... Um, three or four interviews. Um, the first interview would usually be the HR and then it would go through to the hiring manager and with the president of the company, depending on the position. So I think the process would probably be pretty standard. Okay. you have a killer interview question? Uh, um, I don't know if it's killer, but I like to understand what the person's... Um, I don't know, core belief or something that they really want to keep as an important part of their job. Not so much like what kind of job function they want to do, but within that job function, um, what is, what's important to them? For example, if there's somebody who's applying to a management position and within the management role, I'd like to know whether they find that the people management aspect is most important for them or whether the PL management or the decision-making power is the most important for them or whether they are looking for a role that looks after more regions or, um, um, you know, the job scope. So depending on what that person's um, driven by, I think it makes me... It, it helps me match the roles or the or the brands that are available within the group. Yeah, motivations are so important, right? Mm. You're looking at people. What do you have a a, a, a worst or best interview story? Ah, well, I don't have that too many worst interview stories. But one thing that is kind of my pet peeve is 
when candidates undersell themselves, um, especially the ladies who have taken time off recently to have children. I think those, those types of interviews where the candidates come to me and say, oh, I haven't really been doing anything for the last three years, kind of makes me sort of shiver even thinking about it now. I can't, I can't imagine somebody thinking that raising a child for three years wasn't doing anything or hadn't been adding any value or hadn't been a learning experience. And then they go on to say things like, oh, I don't mind taking a job, uh, like a pay cut, because I've taken this time off. Or I don't mind taking a role that's um, more junior than I used to be. Or, or they'll say things like, I can work until 6 p.m., but I have to pick up my child at 6.30, so I can't do any overtime. But I can work from 8 p.m. till midnight, so don't worry about it. You know, and these types of interviews make me really sad because I, I just think that, Somehow, somewhere along the line, they've come to assume that companies aren't amazing enough to be able to accept, you know, different types of um, candidates. And I think that that's, I think that that makes me sad. Yes, spot on. Have you seen that YouTube video going around where they're interviewing candidates uh, on Zoom and they're interviewing, you know, people for this job and basically it's 24 hours, you don't get to sit down. Uh, there's no holidays, and by the way, you don't get paid. And then at the end of it, it's it's your mom, right? So the punchline is it's it was for Mother's Day. It was very very well done. <laughs> no, I hadn't seen it. And it just goes to what you say. I mean, wow, what a what a project management role that they have, right? Yeah. What uh, talk about uh, recruiters? What do you find effective for using executive search? In terms of executive search, I think that they are one of our biggest business partners. So we would, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today without the executive search recruiters. Um, I think that they have the knowledge and the market experience and the network that, you know, even internal internal recruiters, like I have a I have a big network, but this I can't know everybody. And I think that it's it's great when an executive search recruiter can introduce people that we really just have never considered or would never have been able to reach. Um, for me in particular, I love to be able to get candidates who have, who are maybe Japanese, um, you know, have the Japanese language skills or who have been brought up in Japan, who are now living overseas and have that international experience and would like to come back to Japan. So those types of candidates are very, very tricky for me to, to connect to that executive search recruiters who have that international um, market approach add a lot of value to, to my business. That's great. Thank you. What, what about, um, what would you tell people that are wanting to get into LVMH uh, or for their job search in general to be effective? How would, what, what advice would you give them? Um, so I think that um, they need to build a strategy. <laughs> I think a lot of candidates don't really have a strategy when they're starting a job search. Maybe they think that they can do a little bit of window shopping first and they'll just see what happens. But by the time they're invited to an interview, 
I don't feel that they're passionate enough or that they know that company enough to convince the hiring managers that they're the one. Mm. So I think they need to do a little, a little bit, have a, have a clearer strategy about why they're going to apply for this company. And if they get an interview at that company, what would it be about that company that they are, you know, attracted to? And what, what kind of um, key skills do they want to gain in the next move? And how would that lead to their, you know, 10-year business plan or um, career, career plan? So I think if they, if they can just spend a little bit of time to sit down and create a strategy before applying to the 20 companies that they'd like to, you know, try out for, I think they might be more successful. Yeah. I, I, when I do executive coaching for with these candidates and I, I lead them through a step process first finding out okay what's the long-term plan a lot of people just haven't sat down and chatted with someone about it or haven't thought about it and they don't they don't do it with their significant other or friend and they just don't think about what's the next move and really what is it that they want from the next position and the position after that and where they want their career to go and just to think about it a little bit. So, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. With, uh, give us an omiyage yeah, as we, we, we finish up. What uh, would be your one recruitment hack for uh, SMEs? What would you say? Oh, a recruitment hack. Oh, to know your own business or to know your own business's strength, I think would be a recruitment hack because – the more you know about what's amazing about your company and what your sales pitches, I think, and, and the more genuine it is, I think it will help attract candidates. That's great. Very good advice. Yeah, I think uh, upselling is a big one, uh, just selling the company a little bit, right? And knowing the benefit hmm. of working. Sometimes we get into a company and we're, we've been there so long, we forget what's special about the company or the positions. It's easy, yeah. right? Uh, so I got three questions I, I ask everybody. So these are, <laughs> these are our barefoot lunch questions. All right. So what one book do you recommend that everyone should read? So I like to go back to the really good old days where everybody in our recruitment firm um, had to read Good to Great. I love what it. Is it Jim Collins or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like, I like to go back to the basics when it comes to recruitment because I think that um, especially the hedgehog concept, it's never left me and it helps me in every part of my life, not just recruitment, but even in a personal situation or, you know, just when you're making a, a big decision, you have to keep coming back to that core concept and making sure that it's still in line with that core value that you want to hold. So well, we had to do that back in the day, right? We, um... It was compulsory, right? It was compulsory reading. I think it was, we had to read it to pass probation. I, it's yeah. That stayed with us uh, for a long time. I think it uh, formed a lot of people in, in our industry. That's great. What's uh? and then second question, what is your favorite lunch? I think, I don't know if it's necessarily the food part, but I think I like to go to a restaurant where they will top up your tea more than once. <laughs> and where do they do that? <laughs> you know, at some cafe, at some like hotel um, place. Yeah. Um, like I go to the Grand Arc Hotel because 
they just keep coming around with that pot of tea and topping it up. And if you're having a candidate interview and you need to quickly eat your lunch, then at least you'd like to, to have hot tea coming along now and then to keep the, <laughs> you know, to keep the conversation going. Nice. Good recommendation. And final question. If you could invite anyone to lunch, living or dead, who would you invite? I'd like to invite Stella McCartney. So Stella McCartney oh. is um, a luxury brand designer and she's, you know, one of the, she's a pioneer for creating sustainable clothing. So I'd really like to learn more about how she sees environmental sustainability fitting into this fashion and luxury world and, you know, what we as, our, as individuals could do even as consumers could do when it comes to environmental sustainability to help, you know, protect the world, even though we want to be greedy and buy lots of beautiful things, I think we still need to be aware of how it's impacting, um, you know, the planet. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for being on Barefoot Lunch Podcast. <laughs> it's fun. This brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. The Barefoot Lunch Podcast is released on the 1st and 15th of the month and can be found on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. If you like what you've heard, please leave a rating and a nice comment. And thank you. Our original music was composed and performed for the Barefoot Lunch Podcast by Sweeney Davis. Sweeney Davis.